Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? It's good to see you. I hope you had a great week last week. Um, I, I know I did, although I got to say, I started a diet last week, and there's just something about removing uh, pizza and pasta from the body that just really, I, I guess this weekend I was going through a time of detox. I don't know, but anyway, I'm feeling better this morning and excited to be here with you and uh, just excited about what God's doing in this place, in this uh, church, and in this faith family. Excited about what he's going to do here today. Um, I know yesterday was a beautiful day, and I believe and expect uh, today to be a beautiful day as well. Amen? And so, it's good to see you here this morning. Last week, we began a new series, and the name of that series is Faith Has a Face. Uh, we, we decided that what we would do is we would go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is uh, what many would call in the scriptures the faith chapter, and, and in Hebrews chapter 11, we would uh, just begin to recognize people that are identified there in that chapter as being people of extraordinary faith. And so uh, as we did that, we also wanted to make sure that we personalize these stories because so often, if we're not careful as we're reading through Scripture, we have this tendency to just read through it and we sort of uh, read it as though it's some sort of fictional novel or some sort of uh, story that has nothing to do with us, and in fact, it has everything to do with us, every single story in the Scriptures, and what we are reading about when we're reading through these stories are we're reading about people who had tremendous faith in God, and they believed God, and, and they trusted God, and they allowed God to shape and form their life, and so uh, it, it's, it's really encouraging. Even those who who found themselves in a place where they were failing as, as a follower of of Christ or failing as, as someone who trusted God, they would oftentimes find in their life the grace and the goodness of God as he poured out his rich grace upon their life. And so it, it, it's so encouraging to read these stories, but it's also great to be able to, uh, to really put a face with the story. And so that's what we're hoping to do in this series as we study what it means to be a person of faith. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we're going to kind of start out here this morning, it's important that we also recognize this truth, and, and I really want you to hear this this morning, but as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, what we begin to realize is that Hebrews chapter 11 is not about extraordinary people who have faith. It's about ordinary people who have extraordinary faith, and there's a huge difference in that. These are not the superstars of the world who were able to live by faith. What we see is that these were ordinary people just like you and just like me who had the same struggles, who went through the same difficult circumstances that we often find ourselves in. And so it's really important as we dive into this to not sort of place them on a pedestal and say, well, but that was so-and-so, and they, you know, they were just capable of doing that. No, these were ordinary people who had extraordinary faith, and that's what I want us to understand as we begin to dive into this text this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at a man named Enoch, who, was, uh, who God uses to help us understand what it means to live by faith. And so we're going to be looking at his story today. We're going to be putting his face on this story, and we're going to see what it is that God wants to teach us uh, in, in the reading and the preaching of his word. So I want to pray for us, 
then we're going to dive into the, the word of God this morning and continue to worship in that way. So pray with me, if you will, this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do welcome you in this place. And Father, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for the reality that you loved us so greatly that you drew us unto yourself that we may in return love you. And God, as we recognize all the goodness that you are, Father, we are encouraged by your presence in our life. We're thankful for your faithfulness. Father, we're thankful for your grace and your mercy and your, uh, Father, your, your, your presence every day in our life. Father, we recognize today that we are just ordinary people. There's nothing supernatural about us. There's nothing really that special about who we are. But God, we recognize that there is something very special about who you are. And Father, there's something very special about who our Savior, Jesus Christ, really is. And so Father, we welcome you into this place, God, and we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds that we would be able to hear from you this morning, God, that our hearts would be attentive towards you, and that, God, we would be hungry and thirsty to hear your voice. Father, we love you so much, and we, we praise you, and we thank you for your word, which teaches us and equips us and encourages us and even from time to time challenges us to deal with the, the sin that may exist in our life. And so, Father, we thank you for your word and the amazing tool that it is as we live out our life following Jesus. Father, we love you. We welcome you in this place. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. This morning, I want to start off by asking a question. I like to do that sometimes because I think questions get us thinking. I know it does for me. Uh, it seems like a lot of times what pops in my head is mostly questions and hardly the answers, and so it causes me sometimes to just wrestle and wrestle and wrestle with trying to figure things out. Sometimes there seems to be more questions than there are answers. But the question that I wrote down as I was preparing for this message was this, have you ever thought about what people might say when you're gone from this earth? Now, I recognize that could be a very morbid sort of question, right? I know most of you didn't come in here today wanting to be challenged to think about death, right? Most of us here today probably didn't want to walk in here and to think about what life is going to be, you know, what's going to happen when we're gone. But I want to throw this question out there this morning. I want us to, to sort of begin here, if we will. And the question is, what might people say about who you were when you're gone? I remember at my dad's funeral, which is approaching almost a year now, I had a lot of people who came and and they walked in, and they were greeting the family at the funeral, and they were just very nice with their words, very encouraging. But I remember this, this one friend of my dad's who was a, a really close friend. He probably has known him longer than anybody else that uh, was on this planet. And, and he came up to me, and he, he grabbed me by my shoulders, and he just kind of looked me dead in the eye, and he says, David, I want you to know that your dad was a really, really good man. And I, I was like, well, thank you, you know, get your hands on. I'm a little uncomfortable. I mean, he was right up in my face. This, 
this, this older gentleman, I, I didn't really know what was coming next, like, and you need to be one too, you know, or something like that. I just didn't know what to expect, but, but this man had me by the shoulders. I mean, I was not going anywhere, but he wanted me to know. He says, your dad was a really, really good man. And that's really all he had to say. He let go and he walked away. And I remember thinking how encouraged I was that this man had such kind thoughts to say about my dad and how it just really, it really just, uh, it just empowered me. It, it, it just lifted me up. It was, it was very uplifting to have this dear friend of his to, to share that truth with me. Now, all my life, I had thought that. All my life, my dad had really never given me any reason to think otherwise, but it was, it was just so encouraging to see that after he was gone, there was somebody who thought enough of him to come to me and to tell me that so that I would be encouraged by this reality. I often think, what is it that people are going to remember us by? What is it that is going to be that one thing in our life when we're gone from this earth that people will look back and say, yes, that David was a what kind of man? I think one of the most uplifting things that could be said about us as believers and followers of Christ Jesus, as people who love God and love Jesus and claim to be Christian, I think one of the most powerful things that people could say about us when we're gone are these words. He walked with God. He walked with God. Think about that for just a moment. What does that even mean? What does that even look like for us? And, and I hope that today, as we dive into God's word together, as we explore the life of this man named Enoch, that we would maybe be able to answer that question here this morning, what it's like to walk with God. You know, it, it, it's really amazing, the story of Enoch. When we look into Scripture, we realize that there are only three books and only nine verses that ever mention this man's name. It's a, it, it, very little is written about Enoch, but there's a whole wealth of knowledge that is gained from this short story of this man's life. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at that. In Genesis, we, we see that he is described as a man who walked with God. A man who walked with God. In Hebrews, it tells us that he pleased God. And then in Jude, we read that he witnessed for God. These three things tell us a lot about who this man was. And so this morning, I want us to look at the incredible testimony of an ordinary man who had extraordinary faith. You see, the problem, I believe, in our world today in our churches today, in Christianity today, the problem that exists among believers all over this world, I believe, today, is that they don't want to walk with God. They want God to walk with them. And that's something for us to think about. So often it's as though Christians, as they live out their life, they're like, hey, God, this is who I am. This is where I'm going. This is the plans I have for my life. If you want to join me, then come on, instead of really understanding what it means to walk with God. And that's a powerful thing for us to think about. 
But here we begin to see this story as we, as we dive first to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want us to go there. I want you to go ahead and turn with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at just two verses we, uh, here in this passage. These are the, the, the two verses in Hebrews that reveals to us that Enoch was a man, an ordinary man, who lived a life of extraordinary faith. And these two verses tell us that he pleased God. And so read this with me, if you will, this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. It says here in this passage, it says, by faith, and remember, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about what it means to live a life of faith in Christ Jesus. But this passage, this, these two verses starts off, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, there's two very powerful things that we take away, two powerful truths, if you will, that are brought to our attention by the author of Hebrews. The first one is this, is that Enoch's faith, uh, Enoch's faith, this is, this is what we're sort of exposed to, his faith and what it resulted in. So the writer of Hebrews, in a very quick way, he identifies this ordinary man and he tells us something about his faith and then he reveals to us what it resulted in. And then the second thing that we're going to be looking at today is the importance and the necessity of faith. Most of us sitting here today maybe uh, live our life and we would certainly acknowledge that we have been saved by grace through faith. We would say that we understand a little something about faith, but, but the reality is how many of us truly see the importance of living out a life, a life of faith? And how many of us understand the necessity of of it, of living this life of faith, knowing that God is the greatest thing that is in our life, that God is the most important thing in our life, despite everything else that is around us, which are those visible things that we see, that coming to that place as individual followers of Jesus who would believe that our relationship with God and our willingness to walk with him is so much more important than anything else in this world. And so that's what we want to be honing in here and looking at this morning as we dive into this text and a couple of others as we study this man's faith. And so we read these passages, we read these stories, and we begin to understand what it's all about. And so the author of Hebrews, he begins speaking to the New Testament Christians, remember this is in the New Testament, Hebrews is in the New Testament, and so he's speaking to the New Testament Christians, and as he's doing this, he goes all the way back to Genesis. I mean, that's where we are first exposed to uh, the story of this man named Enoch, and so he goes back to Genesis, where we see four verses that are written about Enoch, and we see this, and we begin to, to learn even more about him, especially as the writer is revealing what he's revealing. Remember, he's teaching us that Enoch pleased God. 
But he's pointing to this man who we are first exposed to in the Old Testament. And so we go back to uh, Genesis and we continue to look uh, more into his life. But in, but in Hebrews chapter 5, here's what we see. We see, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. I think this is very interesting to me. I mean, here we have this man who is living his life, a life of faith, a life trusting God, a life that is very pleasing to God. And it's almost as if God just kind of looks down from heaven, and as he looks down from heaven, he sees Enoch, and he identifies this man, and he says, I like that guy. I, I, I think the world of this guy, I want him up here with me. And so it says in the scripture that God literally spares Enoch from having to experience death because he just simply brings him on up to be with him. What a remarkable story. But as we start learning more about this man, we see that, that there were a lot of things about Enoch's life that was, that was really powerful for us to learn from. We learned that he was pleasing God, but then we go back to Genesis and we really begin to see the secret behind what exactly does please God. And we go back to Genesis chapter 5. I want to take you there for just a moment. Turn with me if you will. We'll look at these. Just kind of keep your, your finger in, in, uh, in Hebrews. We'll come back there in just a moment. But in Genesis chapter 5, we see something really amazing to me. In Genesis 5, we see these four verses, 21, 22, 23, and 24. And it says this, it says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked, it says, he walked with God and he was not for God took him. And so we see this story the same story with a few more details added to the, to the story, a few more details for us to get this image of who this man was. We see in Hebrews, as we read in the New Testament, that he was a man who pleased God, and now we go back and we begin to realize that he was a man who walked with God. And so there definitely seems to be this correlation between walking with God and pleasing God. And I believe that what the scripture is teaching us, I believe that what we understand as we read through all that Jesus has in store for us as a New Testament believers and followers of Christ Jesus, as we live out our life, we begin to see this correlation that plays out that maybe it's impossible to please God without walking with God and we'll never walk with God if we're not aiming to please God. And so this is a very powerful thing for us to begin to walk away with. Uh, you know, I believe so often as Christians, we, we live in this sort of dutiful, obedient sort of place where we, we just feel as though we got to do, do, do for God. And, and I think a lot of times we're doing all of these things to please God, but we leave out of the picture walking with God. And so here we see these two attributes of this man named Enoch, 
And I believe, I, I strongly believe that if we're ever going to please God, then we've got to walk with God. And we're never going to please God. We're never going to walk with God if we're not aiming to please God. And so this is something that is just really powerful to me to consider as I look through this passage. We begin to see this. You see, in Hebrews, faith is defined to us like this. It is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not seen. And so if we study the life of this man who had tremendous faith, then no doubt he was trusting God with his life. No doubt he believed in God. No doubt he was willing to follow God. And in fact, what we see about this man's life is that he was walking with God. Notice what it says in verse 22 of this Genesis passage. It says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years. Now, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, that's, that's an old man, right? I'm thinking that's an old man. I don't know that I want to live 300 years. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty tired, and there's days where I'm thinking, Jesus, just come on and take me, you know? I just feel so wore out sometimes. But here's this man is, an old man living his life for 300 years, and, and I don't believe this is, this is some sort of allegory or some sort of illustration of something. I believe this man lived 365 days of the year because the Bible's teaching us and saying that he lived 365 days of the year. But what does this teach us? Why would the scriptures point out to us that he lived for 365 years. The only thing that I could come up with thinking through this and studying through the word is that sometimes we get so impatient with God, don't we? Even as it relates to us walking out our faith with God. And so we look and we, we understand that so often we live in a sort of a I want it now culture. And oftentimes we we begin to recognize that I want it now, I want it today, I want it to happen now. It begins to bleed over into our faith. It begins to bleed over into our Christian faith and our walk with God. And it kind of moves us, if we're not careful, into a place of wanting God to act and act now. And so we see this and we, we read this story and we begin to try to understand what it is teaching us and we, we, we see and we read where he lived 365 days, I mean years, and the only thing I could really come up with is this, is that walking with him demands consistency. Walking with him demands consistency. Think about this for just a moment. What is a walk? What does it mean to just go for a walk? It means to take one step after another, after another, after another. To take one step after another. That's what a walk is. For me to walk across this stage, I've got to take one step after another. And eventually I'll get to this side. Now I can run and make it a little faster, but that's what a walk is. That's what this is saying about this man. And so we walk with God and we take one step after another. And one of the most powerful things about this passage to me, seeing that this man lived 365 days of the year and seeing in he Hebrews that he pleased God and seeing in Genesis that he walked with God, it tells me that this man was living a consistent life, so consistent in fact that he looked down and he says, I really like this guy. He's walking with me. He's pleasing me. I want him up here with me. 
What a powerful model for us to look at as we live out our faith with God, to teach us not to be impatient when maybe God is not moving as fast as we think God ought to be moving. Remember what I said earlier, so often we're running, God, this is my path, this is where I'm going, are you coming? When in fact, Jesus may be saying, no, that's not what my plans are for you. But you see, God, I'm sick and tired of this circumstance I find myself in. So? What a powerful testimony to us to see a man who walked with God for 365 years of his life. And so we see the importance and the necessity of his faith. Going back to Hebrews, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And listen to this. And he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. You see, this is huge to me. This is huge to me because everybody wants to bless God to bless their life, whether or not they're blessing him or not. So often we live our life and we, we, we live our life with this attitude, God, I shower your blessings on me. God, I want to I wanna see your blessings on my life, and we're not we're not in return blessing him. We're not walking with him, we're not living for him. There's sin in our life, there's all kind of things in our life that are greater idols to us than God himself, and yet we get impatient. We wonder why he's not walking with us when we learn in this passage that real faith, authentic faith, genuine faith, it's not asking God to walk with you. It's you walking with God. Powerful. Powerful. Now remember I said it was important. Remember, this is an ordinary man. So before you put him on this pedestal and say, well, he just obviously had something I don't have. No, he didn't. He just loved God, and he trusted him, and he believed in him, and he followed him, and he walked with him, and he pleased him, and he even witnessed for him. Just a man, nothing supernatural. He's not Jesus, just like you and me. And so he's living his life walking with God. And so what does it really mean to walk with God? You know, there, there's a New Testament expression that we often see. This is typically how it's how it's seen in the New Testament, we are to walk in the Spirit. That's what we see, and, and, and so there's this, it, it's sort of translated in the New Testament, walking in the Spirit. Well, walking with God, walking in the Spirit, it's really one and the same as, as far as what Scripture is revealing to us, what it's teaching us. It's, it, it, it's, it's the thing that Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples, he said, abide in me and I in you. 
walk with me. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? You remember where the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What is it that, that you want me to do? How can I have a fulfilled life? That's what he was asking Jesus. And he says, well, why don't you keep the commandments? And the rich young ruler, he says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm doing that. What else? Right? And so Jesus says, well, this, why don't you just sell everything you got, give it to the poor and just come follow me. What Jesus says, what Jesus invites him to is a walk. He said, I want you to just walk with me. Just come go with me. And what it says in Scripture, is it the rich young ruler? He couldn't do that. Jesus was asking too much. Jesus, I don't want to walk with you is what he was saying. He was saying, Jesus, I want you to walk with me. Jesus says, it doesn't work like that. He says, I want you to sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come walk with me. And the scriptures tell us that the rich young man, he turned and he walked away from Jesus. And that's not the end of the story, though. It says he walked away in despair. What does it mean to walk with God? I want to show you something. We've been going to uh, James uh, over the last couple of weeks. I want to I want to take us there in the in a few moments that we have remaining here this morning. Turn with me to James chapter two. Let's let's go back to James for a bit, and and I want to show you something. Uh, and and uh, I, I think this is really interesting. Uh, we've been looking at different passages here, and I, I think it'll do us good to look at uh, another one. You know, James is one of those books that just where James just kind of tells it like it is, doesn't he? A lot of times when I when I, when I say this to someone, I'll say something about reading through James. They'll say, boy, that book will step on your toes. How many of you ever heard that, you know? Where, I mean, it's just that kind of book. I mean, you're not going to read it without probably feeling some conviction, and that's a healthy thing for us sometimes. But, but here's where we want to go this morning, James chapter 2, and look at this passage, verses 1 through 4. We'll just look at verses 1 through 4 here this morning. And what we've been doing here in this message is looking at what it means to walk with God. What does it look like to walk with God? And we've been, we've been looking at this man's life, but I, I want to show you something else. I want to show you what not walking with God looks like. And I think this is just one example. In fact, we could read a, a thousand examples this morning if we had time of, of what it means to not walk with God. But I just want us to be able to contrast a, a, a life of faith, trusting and believing and walking with God versus a life that doesn't. This is just one example, and I believe that this example that James is talking about and revealing to us is a problem that we also see in our world today, uh, especially in churches. And what that's really, to me, that's sort of the sad reality of this because, because as believers in Christ, we should be set apart. We should be different than the rest of the world, but yet we see this all the time. But James speaks into this issue, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about as we dive into it here. But James chapter two, verses one through four, James writes these words. He says, he says, my brothers, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to Make sure you sort of underline that, if you will, in your scripture. But it says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Lord of glory. He says in verse four, 
I mean, verse two, he says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes also in and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see what I love about this passage, not, not that this is, gives us warm fuzzies, by, by far it does. It, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really encourage our spirits to, to read something like this, but it basically says this. It's, it's a passage that says, listen, don't show favoritism toward one group and not the other. And, and, and so as you look at this, you begin to say, well, what does this have to do with walking with God? It's one example of how we live out our life following Jesus as we walk with him, as we surrender our life to Jesus. We find ourselves doing this and following him and living for him. And then things like this kind of pop up in our heart and it just keeps, it kind of causes us to stray off the beaten path. And so I think it's very important that we are able to understand what does it look like to walk with God? What does it not look like to walk with God? James is, is dealing with a very important thing. He says, when you show favoritism, when you show partiality, when you, when you align yourselves with a certain group and you reject another group, that's not what Jesus did. In fact, what we see in Jesus' life is that Jesus would often go to the sinner. Jesus would often go to the poor. Jesus would even declare to us that, that, that you know, he didn't come for the rich and famous. What Jesus came for is for those who were sick and in need of salvation, in need of healing. And so Jesus would declare this over and over as he lived out his life, as he carried out his ministry on this earth. And so here James reveals something to us that is very important for us to understand, not to show partiality, not to show this sort of favoritism. And I can tell you this, that this is not walking with God when we find ourselves behaving like this. To show partiality is incompatible with the glory of God. It's incompatible. It just doesn't fit. It's not what Jesus would do. It's not what we should do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says this. It says, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So if we're living out our life, if we're walking with God, if we're walking with an aim to please God, if we're doing that with our life, then we are to do everything the scriptures tell us, whether we eat or drink or everything in between, we are to do it what? For the glory of God. And so to live a life that shows favoritism toward our tribe and not the lost, to, to see people walk into our door and snub our nose at them because they look different, maybe they're a different color, uh, for somebody to walk in our doors and they don't look like they meet the certain financial standard that we have for our own life. This isn't walking with God. This is us walking into God's house, but it's not compatible with doing all things to the glory of God. And so it becomes very important that we understand what truly walking with God looks like versus not walking with God. And so this is, again, just one example to show partiality is incompatible with God's command to love others. 
we do realize, don't we, that Jesus has commanded us to love everyone, right? He has commanded us to love all people. We're not the judge of whether they're in the right place to be loved or not. We're not to be that. That's God's job. What he calls us to do is to love others. In fact, what Jesus said is he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love, if you have a love for one another. If you have a love for one another. Jesus himself says, you want people to know that you're my disciples, then you love everyone. Now, does that mean we don't address the sin in their life? No, it doesn't mean that. And of course, we do that with a spirit of love to help them discover who Christ is and what Christ wants for their life. Does that mean that we don't come along beside them and help them walk in this new faith that they may have? Certainly it doesn't. I mean, we are to love people. We're to meet people where they're at and to bring them to the cross. That's what we're called to do. And so here we see this example of this to show partiality with God's command to love others is not compatible. I'm going to ask the band to come on out. We're just about done here. I've only got about 30 more minutes, and I think Spence said he could, he could play that long. One of the most powerful stories of what I believe is evidence of someone who is walking with God and who also sets the bar for loving all people is the story of a man named Jamie Saint. You've probably never heard of Jamie. Jamie Saint was a man who, who lived his life, uh, I believe, walking with God and, and loving all people. You see, what most people have heard is the story of Jim Elliott. Most of us recognize Jim Elliott as a, as a missionary who went to the Amazon to, to, to engage in a people group down there, the Wadani Indians, and, and he went down there to, to take the gospel message to this violent tribe. They were cannibals. They were, they were people that were very known for their violence, and Jim Elliott and a crew of five, they went down there to take the gospel message to a group of people who needed it desperately. But you see, upon their arrival, they were met by the Wadani Indians, and every one of them were speared to death. I mean, they barely got the plane unloaded when they were attacked. They never got to share the gospel. They never got to do anything. Well, one of the people that were a part of Jim Elliott's group was a man named Nate Saint. He was the pilot that had flown the group in. And if anybody deserved the right to hate the Wadani Indians, it would be Nate's family. Jamie was the grandson of Nate. And one of the things that Jamie had an opportunity to do is to see his dad not respond with an attitude, well, he just hopes they all never find Jesus, that they find their place in hell. I mean, if anybody 
would probably be feeling this, it would be this family, but Jamie's dad didn't respond like that. In fact, Jamie's dad, he packed his bags and he goes to the Amazon to carry on the mission that his dad had set out to do. Only this time when he arrives, he's able to share the story of redemption. He's able to share the story of restoration. He's able to tell of the great love that God has for them. He talks about how they can be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And many of them begin to give their life to Christ. And as a result of all of this, the warrior who literally speared Nate Saint, the man who was responsible for killing Jamie's granddad, came with a spirit of brokenness. And because of their tradition, he adopted Jamie's dad. Jamie tells the story today that this warrior who killed his granddad, he calls him because he's so special in his heart. He calls him to this day granddad. Why? Because they belong to a faith family. Because the gospel message went back to a place, to a savage group, and it was in that group that that group heard the gospel and many gave their life to Christ. Jim Elliott's story is one that is truly remarkable, but as I hear that story, I begin to realize that the reason that Jamie decided to, to choose to walk with God was because of a desire to reconcile with this tribe and to love them and to show them about Jesus, Jamie chose to walk with God, not be filled with hatred, not be filled with bitterness, not to show favoritism to his, his family, not to, show, not to be partial to those who should hear the gospel. This family continues to minister to these people even to this day. Jamie Saint, he once said this. He said, God has a story to write in each of our lives. And while he doesn't promise that every chapter is going to be easy, he promises to make sense of even the difficult chapters. You know, for those of us who walk with God, for those of us who, who love God, who believe in God, who choose to, to, to do our best to follow God, and none of us are probably perfect at it. But for those of us who who attempt to walk with God, who desire to follow Jesus with all of our heart, we understand this truth that Jamie's speaking about. God has a story to write in each of our lives. He doesn't promise that every chapter is going to be easy, but he promises to make sense of even the difficult chapters. If you've lived any amount of time in your life You've experienced difficult chapters. Amen? Isn't it wonderful to know that we have a Savior who cares so deeply for us that he will walk with us not only in the good but in the bad chapters of our life? Amen? No? Man, y'all are quiet. Y'all want me to start this message all over? Here we go. All right, good morning, Cross Point Church. I mean, if you guys are gonna be that excited about Jesus, we're gonna just...
hold off the second service and start this service over, okay? How many of you are thankful for Jesus in your life when you go through difficult chapters in your life? Don't make me say it again. Because you know at the end I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do with it, right? Jesus desires so much for us and for us. How many of you believe that this morning? He desires. You see, that applause is because you want me to finish up, right? I get it. Yeah. I heard a long time ago that applause means get off the stage. That's what I heard a long time ago, okay? I want to close with this. A couple of, couple of 15 passages here that I want us to look at. Hebrews 11.6 says this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. I love this passage here, this, this phrase, whoever would draw near. I believe one of the, a lot of people have asked me, Pastor David, how do you walk with God? I believe it starts right there. Draw near to God. To walk with God's got to include to draw near with God. And one last verse, Hebrews 4, 16 says this, then let us draw near, with confidence let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. My greatest challenge for us this morning, including myself, is to challenge ourselves to draw near to the throne of of grace to receive mercy and grace from a God who cares so deeply for us amen if you want to know how to walk with God if you want to know how to please God if you want to know how it is that you're going to remain obedient to God then let us with confidence confidence in what? confidence pointing to the definition of faith believing, having an assurance and a certainty of what we believe. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. This morning, my greatest prayer, I was praying this morning, just sitting out in the lobby, imagining you guys walking in those doors. I was praying this morning, God, as we walk in here, help us to understand the importance of drawing near. Because here's what Jesus promises. Abide in me. And I 